hello everyone and welcome to this very exciting Civilizations in Review. I am quite excited to chat about this fascinating empire. Thank you again to Zainab Nouri Al-Mufti here today to chat about uh, writing and choosing this phenomenal empire. And again, thank you to Coretta, our very first Civilizations in Review, throwback to the Nabataeans. Um, to uh, co-interview today. Uh, as a reminder, this will be all over our social media, on our Instagram, our Facebook, our website, our Spotify, and on our YouTube. So check us out uh, to continue this wonderful conversation. Um, but I will throw it to Coretta to start the 101 word intro and we'll jump all into this Rashidun dynasty. Thank you again for writing it. Let's go. All right. Um, so this is the introduction that you wrote. Uh, regarded as the rightly guided caliphs, the Rashidun Caliphate was the first Islamic caliphate to lead the expansion of the Islamic empire. Established after the passing of the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in 632 Common Era, a caliph or successor was elected to shepherd and expand the newfound religion of Islam. Abu Bakr, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Uthman ibn Affan, and Ali ibn Abi Abi Talib were the first four successive caliphs to guide this transition. The period is often divided in traditional Muslim perception into a phase of triumph under the first two caliphs and one of sedition and civil war under the latter two. Wow. What a great start. <laughs> Thank you. Ben, do you have a question to start us off? I know <laughs> you're always I mean, super ready to go. Honestly, go for it, Coretta, if you have one. This is so exciting all, all off the bat. Thank you again, Zainab, for a powerful intro. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, right off the bat, why is this the civilization that you chose to go with? Um, I think the thing that really drew me to Rashidin and, and the thing that still interests me today is the fact that the the Middle East and, the, and North Africa as we know it today kind of begins at this stage. Um, so sort of the Arabization of all of those different parts of land begins with the Muslim conquests of um, those lands, so Southwest Asia and North Africa. So that's something that really interests me um, and how that came to be. And in particular, the Arabization of the non-Arab um, lands is really interesting. But also, of course, I'm Muslim um, and it's really interesting just to learn a bit more about the history of how a religion that I follow has managed to come to present day and be, you know, there's like 1.7 or 8 million billion even uh, Muslims today. So it's really interesting how it came from a group of tribal Arabs into a global phenomenon today. So that's what drew me to it, yeah. Lovely. Uh, I mean, I will say Ramadan Kareem first and foremost to all Thank of our you. <laughs> This is our very first civilization during Ramadan and it's so beautifully fitting that it also happens to be this uh, empire. I mean, the very first Islamic empire during our very first call during Ramadan. It's a beautiful marriage right there. Um, so <laughs> we did not plan that listeners, but hey, I, I will take that as a wonderful combo. Um, th this is so fascinating for so many reasons because there is such a discussion on all of these empires were Islamic and every single empire really that we've talked about previous have really not been, have, have predated Islam or have been other religions. Um, and, and so really to begin that conversation, as you said, in the year 632, um, is really starting with this empire and, and the modern awareness of the region. So again, thank you for writing this because this is such an important beginning to, to the history. Um, I wanna talk about the word Rashidun because that's a really important word. It, most of the empires are the group of people or even the land they lived on. Rashidun is not that as far as I'm no. aware. I wanted yeah. to throw it to you to, 
give us some Arabic history too in this poem. Yeah, so uh, Rashidun would would literally translate to, like I say in the introduction, the rightly guided, um, and it's a little, it's, it's a sort of a, a variation on on um, people's beliefs around it. So it's really within mainstream Sunni Islam that it's regarded. Uh, they're regarded as the Rashidin, whereas Shi'i Islam would not regard them, would not call them Rashidin. Um, but yeah, it means they're rightly guided because they were sort of companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. They were very close with him. They were the, some of the first converts to the religion. Um, and so they are considered sort of the the ultimate Muslims, if you will, like, you know, everyone wants to be like them. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's just the fact that they were very um, knowledgeable. They introduced many different concepts that we still use today, and um, they're considered rightly guided within Sunni mainstream Islam. Wow. What did that schism look like at the time of the empire itself? Yeah, that's really interesting. So, um, basically, when the prophet was sort of a few weeks before he was um, going to pass away, he kind of knew he was very ill um, and he was unable to lead prayers um, with the congregation. Um, and so he appointed Abu Bakr, who became the first uh, khalif um, to lead the prayers with the congregation. Um, and this was sort of a symbolic act, many would say, and, and would say that that was him sort of giving his blessing and saying, this is who I would like to succeed me. Um, that is what a majority of people thought. However, there was a particular party, and it was a political party at the time, who believed that it should be um, Ali, who was the cousin of the Prophet, and therefore from his bloodline, um, who should succeed him. So at the time of his passing, this symbolic act that he'd um, sort of done prior to his death um, was sort of taken by many, and they were all in favour of Abu Bakr and this small party who became known as Shi'at Ali, um, they were very much opposed to Abu Bakr and said, you know, it should be Ali, it should be someone from within the bloodline and the family of the Prophet. Um, so at the time, it was actually the second Khalif, who was Umar, um, that propped up Abu Bakr and said, you know, no, it needs to be Abu Bakr. And ultimately, he um, took the, the first Khalifa position. Um, yeah, at the time it was just political and it's really later on and after the end of the Rashidin that it, it begins to gain traction and becomes Shia sect as we know it now. Yeah, so it's really interesting. That is, and it's so helpful for understanding the, you talk about it in your modern influence section as well, you know, the modern Islamic schism between the Sunni and Shia and understanding yeah. where that comes from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of even anyone, but in, in particular Muslims, don't really know where that comes from. Um, and it's something that's still debated to this day. I'll hear conversations to this day. Should it have been Abu Bakr? Should it have been um, Ali? And like I say, it's things after the Rashidun um, Caliphate, for example, um, Ali's son Hussein was killed at the Battle of Karbala. And that is what gained traction into um the sort of more religious sect than political. But um, yeah, it's still super interesting to this day. There's still a debate about it. This is so incredibly informative because, you know, a, a lot of the discussions on Islam or the Sunni-Shia divide or whatnot all stems directly from this. I mean, yeah. this is the divide, is yeah. who leads the community after Muhammad's death. Um, and, and so to, to so clearly lay this out is, is again, I'm so grateful, really. Uh, you know, Al-Fuzik really tries to be an educational sector, and this is the biggest piece of education for understanding 
modern religious and geopolitical and just all of the aspects and when it comes to the Muslim world. And so again, this is such an informed, I will say this probably seven more times throughout this call, <laughs> but this is so crucial in, in the foundation of you know, what does the modern Sunni Shia schism look like? You know, what are the branches or schools or theologies that have come since? All begin with, okay, with Muhammad, who follows? Um, and, yeah. and so, uh, you know, this is so clear and concise and really, really, really helpful. We'll jump more into what happened, you know, during these four and, and during yeah. the caliphate, but just right off the bat, thank you. Um, because this is, uh, it's so crucial to know the beginning and starting of a conversation to see, you know, 1400 years later, what does it look like today? Um, all of what I just said is your modern influence section. Anyways, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to really make that clear verbally to everyone listening today and who will listen in the future, um, that, that this is really where, where the beginning of the conversations completely stem from. So again, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm curious, the, the Rashidun Caliphate is, is quite short in its time frame, right? Because it's just these four. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that, if, if how, you know, time-wise, short, really, this empire lasted. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it was very short. It was 29 years only, and in that time, they achieved a lot. Um, but it was short, I guess, for a number of reasons. Um, ultimately, the first Khalif, Abu Bakr, um, was quite old when he took the position, and he passed away from illness. The final three um, Khalifs actually um, were murdered, so they each were murdered. Um, Umar was murdered by a Persian slave who Arabs call Abu Lutla, and he was sort of um, avenging the fact that Umar had taken a large uh, portion of the Sasanian Empire. Um, so he was murdered. Then we move on to Uthman, and he was murdered after um, he was accused of nepotism. There was lots of issues in uh, Uthman's tenure, and um, he was murdered. And that led to the first fitna, which is the first Muslim civil war. Um, and from there onwards, with Ali's tenure, it was kind of just downhill. Um, and that the kind of infighting and the civil war between Muslims is what caused them to um, sort of end. And ultimately, the Umayyads also were kind of a big part of this um, time as well. And Uthman was a member of their clan. Um, so he was a third Khalif. And when he became um, Khalif, the reason he was accused of nepotism is because he was giving many of the key positions within the empire to his kinsmen, so the Umayyad people. Um, and they were kind of, not I wouldn't say infiltrating, but they were kind of gaining traction and power through that. Um, so ultimately, when it came to Ali's tenure, they were kind of strengthened and had um, power to go forward and become the next great dynasty of Islam. Um, so yeah, they, they achieved a lot in the time, but it was due to the infighting and murders, really. Wow, I didn't know that the, you know, I, I, I've studied some of this material before and I had never heard about this transition between the Rashidun and the Umayyad, but that's so interesting that the Umayyad were actually, it sounds like they were a tribe. Yeah, okay. That's so, that's so interesting. I yeah, so they were a... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Did I you off? They were a, a tribe from the 
Yeah, sorry, so I think it's just skipping a little bit. Um, no, yeah, so they're actually part of the Quraysh from Mecca. Um, so they were like a wealthy merchant um, clan of people that Uthman was from. And he was one of the earlier converts to Islam that was a companion of the Prophet as well. Um, so through him and, and his nepotism that he was accused of, he was giving all of these positions to the Umayyads. And that's what kind of overlaps the two. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. So how how did the economic system work during those 29 years? And do you know at all how it changed when it transitioned into the Umayyads? Yeah, so um, basically the economics of the whole empire was founded on the principles of Islam. So the Muslim citizens would have to pay zakat, which is one of the five pillars of Islam. And that is, I think, 2.5% of your annual salary that you pay in. And it's seen as sort of a equitable redistribution of welfare and um, social welfare tax that you know supports the less fortunate citizens and so on um, so they paid zakat. The non-Muslim citizens were awarded protection and religious freedoms, but um, were also exempt from military duty. So to compensate for these things, they paid a tax called jizya. Um, so that is the kind of taxes that they used to um, prop up the empire. But equally from all of their conquests, they um, gained a large amount of war booty. And this was used to continue to conquest other other lands and, and things of that nature. In terms of moving into the Umayyad dynasty, I'm not 100% sure, but what I have read about is um, the fact that whereas the Umayyads kind of took the religion a little bit out of their um, leadership and were a little bit more strict and, and um, stern with how they led. So I'm not sure that would be something interesting to look into, though. We also have Umayyad 101 on our website, so you can absolutely yes. check it out. And uh, they are hyperlinked between the two as, you know, one followed the other. Um, I think it's fascinating, you know, the, the tax system to jump this in because Jizya is is how almost every empire, to some extent, they might not have called it jizya, but have used that yeah. system, basically a, a, a tax for the minority religion or minority community to pay homage to the ruling uh, empire or, or governor or whatever the words may be of that empire um, as a sort of protection of that empire, but you were not ethnically or religiously connected to it. That perspective is, is very common in, in most Islamic or non-Islamic empires throughout the region, um, but just but to have sort of the word and the phrase so embedded in just the 29 years of the Rashidun, every single Islamic empire since has used that system mm -hmm. economics. So again, so so quintessential. Um, and again, just thank you for for writing about it. I, we don't have to go super into to you know 600 tax law, <laughs> not at all. But uh, <laughs> I just know that that I've seen that term and heard it on on most of these civilization calls and just on all the empires we have. Um, I didn't realize it. It the term originated in uh, the that's fascinating, so fascinating. So qu quite a lot of uh, tumultuousness, if that's a phrase, um, given that only four caliphs, three of the four were murdered as a result of all of the political schisms and and anger at the time, um, and then of course now leading to the, the Umayyad and massive conquest across the region. Was there a lot of, of conquest during the Rashidun, just the specific 29 years as well? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so initially, with, beginning with Abu Bakr, he, uh, the first thing that he set about doing was something called the Ridda Wars. So after the passing of the Prophet, um, there were many tribes in Mecca and Medina that decided to completely give up the religion and said, you know, we were only followers of the prophet, we don't care. There were many um, false prophets as well that said, well, if he was a prophet, I can be a prophet. So his first um, sort of step was unifying those tribes. Once he'd done that and got them all kind of back on side, he set about um, incursions into the Sasanian Empire and the Byzantine Empire. So to the East was the Sasanian Empire, which would be modern day Iraq now, and to the West was the Byzantines, which was Syria. Um, so he set about incursions into both of those lands. They gained a lot of traction. They gained lots of land, but Abu Bakr passed away before they kind of took those lands completely. Um, it was actually Omar, um, the second caliph, that sort of had the most success militarily and in terms of conquering lands. So he managed to completely conquer um, Iraq, Syria. He managed to, I think, if I'm if I'm correct, I think he managed to completely cause the Sasanian Empire to cease to exist, um, and the Byzantine Empire kind of receded greatly um, into. So he went into Egypt, parts of North Africa, um, and yeah, they had great success. Uthman carried this on as well, um, but then there was all of the infighting and, and civil war that that kind of stopped the um, military expansion. But yeah, they really did an amazing job in 29 years. They, get, they gained a lot of land. Yeah. It's quite impressive. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, you, you hear about the, the huge, huge, huge swaths of land of the Umayyad, Abbasid and Fatimid, the, the next three major caliphates. Um, but the fact that only four major, I mean, very influential, but only four leaders were able to, to rapidly expand and, and promulgate, you know, Islam across across the now modern Middle East or Southwest Asia region. Incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Um, the Sasanian Empire and Byzantine are also on our 101 list, so you can read and engage that conversation. We've also had Sasanian 101 as a previous civilizations call, so you can listen to that and check it out. But wow, I, I didn't I knew there was a, a lot of emphasis on conquest. I thought it was starting with the Umayyads onwards, but fascinating to know that that began almost immediately as, as the Rashidun did too. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And you, you even said in your, um, the key accomplishments section, just to summarize this incredible expansion of territory in only 29 years, that they held dominion over all of the Levant, Syria, Iraq, Khorasan, Where's, what is that area? I think that would be part of the Persian Empire at the time. So that would be part of the Sasanian Empire. Okay. And then uh, present day Iran. Wow. And then also Egypt, a portion of the North African Strip and some Mediterranean islands. Yeah. And all of that by 656 CE. That's, I mean, that's mind blowing. Um, the other thing I really wanted to ask you about is that there were several other really important um, kind of transition points during the Rashidun Empire for Islam itself, correct? There, I know there was something going on with the the calendar and then also the Quran was being developed. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, so the of course the Quran was revealed to Prophet Muhammad during his life, um, through what Muslims believe through a angel Gabriel or Jibril as um, we would call him, um, and it was at first just passed down orally, so it was memorized, and it was during Abu Bakr's um, tenure as Khalif that he kind of thought, you know, this needs to be written down. We don't know what might happen in terms of um, lands, uh, people coming away from the faith, people join, mixing with different groups. Um, so we need to have it written down for everyone's access. So he went about codifying and writing down that using um, trusted scribes of the prophet. Um, so it was written down by um, scribes during Abu Bakr's tenure. It wasn't until Uthman's tenure when the whole of the empire had expanded greatly and was now mixing with other indigenous cultures of different lands that Uthman realized that, you know, it's being um, spoken, it's being read in, a, in different dialects, many different dialects, and it could lead to misinterpretation of the text. So during his time, it was standardized and, um, it's that standardization of the Quran that we now read today. So it's his kind of standardization of it, making sure that it's everything correctly as it was um, that we still read today, um, which is super interesting. And also in terms of the calendar, that was during uh, Omar's tenure. Um, so he started the Islamic calendar and he started it from uh, the year zero after Hijra. Hijra is the migration from of Prophet Muhammad from Mecca to Medina. Um, so it starts from that point. Um, and that's something that we still use today. Like you mentioned in the beginning, it's Ramadan now. That's a month within the Islamic calendar and it's still utilized today. Um, so we're on the year 14, 1442, I think. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they were some of the great legacies that they've left with us today. I mean, absolutely. It's all the way down to today is that same codified version of the Quran that's being used. What was the the Hijra? Could you explain a little bit um, that from, you said from Mecca to Medina, um, why is that so significant? Yeah, so that was uh, sort of Prophet Muhammad taking his people, the early converts to Islam, um, to Medina, to the uh, Quraysh tribes, to try to um, convert them also and to spread the message of Islam. Um, so it's a pivotal moment um, to Muslims and uh, a pivotal moment in sort of expansion of Islam and the empire as well. Um, yeah, so that's why that's such an important thing. And that's why they began the uh, calendar from that point. That's kind of when Islam starts. Got it. Oh, that's so so interesting. So, so th that I fascinating. First and foremost, thank you for sharing. So, so what what year it, by the Gregorian calendar was Hijra? Was that six thirty two, or was it was it sooner than that? Ooh, that's a, um, no, okay, I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah, I'm I, I would say it's six something, it's early six hundreds. Um, yeah, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I'll Google it really quickly. I was just curious because okay. I'm mean, assuming obviously it was before his passing and his passing was yeah. so a bit of time. Um, 622. Okay. Uh, according <laughs> to, to my friend Google. So, so 10 years uh, after the, right, Hijra, yeah. I guess was the, was the pre Rashidun Islamic beginnings and then switching. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. This is so much really, really great. You know, fundamentals of the beginnings of Islam today during Ramadan. 
honestly, this was so perfectly <laughs> timed, and it was not planned that way. But but uh, incredible, incredible information. And I mean, that's the there is no you know updates or not updates. That's the wrong word. Um, you know, a, a different version or or you know different writings of the Quran. It is exactly the same that was penned during the Rashidun, right? Yeah, and that's something that's taken really, really seriously and yeah. was then um, the fact that not one single, even, you know, um, you said you study um, Arabic, you know, harakat, so like a kasra or a dhamma, nothing has been changed because if it if it is changed, um, it drastically changes the meaning. And Quranic Arabic is something that's altogether more complex than just spoken Arabic. Um, so, yeah, nothing changed. Fascinating. The, the, I mean, for all those studying Arabic and, and you know, those that, that, follow, read, enjoy, engage with the Quran. Um, you know, that's, that's a whole different uh, type of Arabic. And, and yet to, I mean, I, I didn't realize the harakat are, are also, that those are basically like vowel markings for those that are, yeah. the, you know, if you say an A or an O or an E sound, we're not going to go into calligraphy or, or lettering today, but that I didn't realize the harakat as well are, are the same for the, you know, past 1400 years. That's really, really, really cool. Wow. Yeah, it, it's super important because when you yeah. sort of, as a child, when you learn to read it, if you say a, a certain harakat wrong, you're changing the meaning. So it's very much like, no, it's this. <laughs> but yeah. Well, and I love to, uh, you know, even with all the modern schisms and everything, it's still the same book for, for every Muslim. Uh, that is that same harakat and, and same penmanship from the Rashidun Empire. Wow, this is so incredibly fascinating for those Islamic scholars, Muslims across the globe, or just those interested in, in of the many empires that make up the modern region. Again, wow, thank you. Um, I'm curious, I, I guess, you know, there was quite a lot of opposition to the, the foundation of Islam and, and uh, the conversion process across. Um, I mean, obviously probably from the Sasanian and the Byzantine for the mega empires, but just even the local communities, was there quite a lot of like rivalry and, and, and difficulty in, in, you know, bringing Islam to the wider region? Yeah, I mean, I think the most of the sort of issues arise during um, Prophet Muhammad's lifetime, um, because prior to Islam, of course, the Arabs, uh, many of them were pagans, they had tribal religions, they worshipped many different gods, or they worshipped statues. So the main issues really were during his lifetime. When it came to the Rashidin, um, they actually, because of how they um, sort of led their lands and allowed religious freedoms and allowed um, certain things in non-Muslim citizens, um, people were generally quite peaceful and happy within the lands. Um, it was only during sort of um, Uthman and Ali's tenures and the last few years of the Rashidin that things started to erupt and there was issues. And that was mainly due to socioeconomic issues um, because of the a large amount of money it took to run such a huge empire and them not sort of doing so well with gaining all that war booty and um Uthman was also known as being really really charitable and so kind of wasn't the best financially and um, so yeah it was more due to socioeconomic issues within the empire rather than the religion I'd say oh you <laughs> you got a question or can I go ahead? Amazing. This is so, so fascinating. And you do such an amazing job, Zainab, of giving us the geographical distribution as well as um, over time. I have a really hard time when I'm learning all of these different civilizations to kind of picture what is happening when and how they relate to each other. And this is really helping me picture how they relate, you know, to Sassanids you mentioned and 
and how they developed over time. That's really, really helpful um, for me. Um, I'm a little bit curious about the, a little bit, maybe you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but how the ruling structure and the religious elements combine together. And if, if that, if it was very heavily influenced by religion, if that carried then through um, the entire 29 years. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned in my um, my section in the article about the ruling system, they did incorporate many elements of democracy. And I would say that that 